Isn't he cute? <laughs> of course, that's a picture of my beautiful daughter, and she's holding our dog, Buddy. And Buddy, of course, has uh, now gone to heaven. Have we got any children with us? But Buddy is in heaven, everybody. But some of you might not know how we came about purchasing Buddy. It's a really special story. We wanted to get a dog. And how many of you have a dog? Yeah, quite a few. Well, as a pastor, we didn't want to get a heathen dog like you have. <laughs> and I was down the pet shop one day and I saw a sign up that said Christian dogs for sale. <laughs> I thought, this is, a, this is for me. I went in and I said to the guy, I said, well, what, what makes it a Christian dog, you know? Is it like, like a bred by Christian people? He said, no, no, no. He said, watch this. He said, buddy, go and get the Bible. And he ran over and he jumped up on the bench and he put it in his mouth and he brought it back and he dropped it down. He said, oh, no, there's more. He said, buddy, find Psalm 23. Well, he got his paw and he ran it over like that and he pointed to it right like that. We said, that's it. We took Buddy home. That night we had some uh, friends over and we uh, said to them, oh, have a look at this new dog we've got. And we ran them through the whole get the Bible Psalm 23 thing. You know, one of our friends said, well, does he do any other tricks? I said, well, I, I don't know. So I, I said, Buddy, sit. He sat down. I said, Buddy, lie down. He lay down. I said, Buddy, roll over. And he started rolling over. I said, Buddy, peel. Well, all of a sudden, he jumped up on Sharon's lap, he put his little paws on her head, and he closed his eyes. <laughs> and Sharon said, oh no, we bought a Pentecostal dog. <laughs> all righty, welcome everybody. It's week five of our series, Red Letter Christians. We're looking at conversations with Christ from John's Gospel. Do you remember the theme of John's Gospel? John chapter 20, verse 30. These signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we're going to take a look this morning at another miraculous healing in a message I've entitled, Seeing Life Through the Mud. We're going to look at John chapter 9, if you like to go there in your Bibles this morning. John chapter 9. How many of you have heard that expression, here's mud in your eye? That's a fairly common expression. It's, a, it's an English expression, and it sort of means, cheers, good health to you. But no one actually knows the origin of that phrase. Some people think it goes all the way back to World War I when the, uh, the troops were in those, those trenches and you know the terrible conditions they were in there. Here's mud in your eyes. Others think that it's from uh, a racing term, you know, uh, so the horse that's out in front kicking up all the mud and so it's a sort of self-congratulatory uh, sort of way of saying, I am the winner. And then others think that it actually goes back to a time when Jesus took some dirt and he mixed it with his saliva and he put it on a blind man's eyes. And then suddenly it was a toast to good health and 
happiness. Of course, we've been looking at one major verse throughout uh, each time that we do the scriptures. The one today, John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's our red letter scripture today. Of course, it's one of the most powerful names of God, the I am. It's an indication that he always was, always will be. And John uses that I am statement 45 times in his gospel. If you know anything about uh, the healing of the blind, it's, uh, it's the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. It's his signature move. It was what he was known for before the resurrection. He healed more blind people than anything else. And so the passage reminds us today, everywhere we look, people are suffering, people are hurting from a whole lot of different things that ail them in the world. But the answer is not so much the, the, the physical sight, but the answer is people receiving spiritual sight for the light of Christ to open their eyes to see the spiritual world. He's the one who shines light into this dark, dark world. And so if he's going to light the way, three things this morning, if you do take notes. First, we've got to trust what Jesus says, trust where Jesus sends, and thirdly, trust how Jesus saves. So firstly, if you want to see through the mud of life... That's a, I thought, for me, I thought, that's a, hey, hey, can you resonate with that? If you want to see through the mud of life, firstly, you have to trust what Jesus says. Verses 1 to 3 this morning as we unpack it. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Probably didn't occur to them that the guy was uh, uh, blind, not deaf. He could hear the conversation. Have you ever felt that people look at you, though, and ask some questions of, how did they get in this mess? What happened to them? What did they do? Was it their fault or was it someone else's? We say similar things, don't we? Why is this person suffering? Do they deserve it? Straight away, you know, it sort of opens us up to the, the power of perception, doesn't it? The way that we see circumstances of life uh, quite often determines how we, how we look at those things, yeah? Why do good people suffer? Of course, being here 19 years, I've preached a lot on suffering, uh, one time a, a lady in the church wrote me a little note. She said, Andrew, I didn't know what suffering was until I heard you speak. <laughs> that lady no longer attends this church. But you might think to yourself, well, how, how could it be this little baby's fault? So how could it be this guy's fault? He was born this way. Actually, rabbis would actually teach. From Genesis 25, uh, Esau and Jacob in the womb, yeah, that you could do things in the womb that would be sinful, that would then cause you to have consequences for them in your lives. Of course, Royal Judean theology teaches if you sin, you will suffer. Now, as Christians today, we know the Bible doesn't teach that. We know that in our heads, but, but, but how often in our hearts when things happen, do we say things to ourselves like, 
What did I do to deserve this? All suffering, of course, is the product of sin. We know that it's the fallout of the fall since Adam and Eve. But we also know that there are consequences of things that we choose to do quite often, yeah? I can be the, the author and perfecter of my own sins. I don't need any of your help. But other times there's stuff that goes on that other people do that impact us as well. And then there's stuff that just happens and we, we don't quite understand sometimes what is God at work doing. I'll take you back uh, 4,000 years as a, a guy. He's got a book in the Bible. His name's Job. You might have heard of this guy. He was uh, living a very blessed life. He was praising God for all of the good fortune that he had throughout his life. And then unbeknownst to him, God and Satan had a conversation in the heavens. And the devil said, well, God, you know, he only praises you because you bless him. If you didn't bless him so much, he would curse you and die. And God says, you're a liar and I'm going to prove it to you. And God removed that hedge of blessing, didn't he? And all of a sudden, in a very, very short space, he lost his flocks, his fields, his family, his fortune, his fitness, and all the way through it all, even his wife said to him, give up, Job, curse God and die. And Job said, no, no, no. And he remained faithful to God. And we've got that great verse, haven't we, in Job 19, 25. I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will see him. And that's really what it's about, isn't it? It doesn't really matter what happens here. It's about what happens on the other side of eternity. God had a purpose for his pain. You know, uh, some people have said to me over the situation that's going on in the Middle East through, through Israel, and a lot of people, uh, you know, in a depth of despair, really, really feel for what's going on. And sometimes people will say things to me like, well, you know, what about all those innocent people? What about all those, all those little babies? And how do you equate all of that? And it's, it's pretty difficult, isn't it? But, you know, you've only got to go back one chapter to John chapter 8 and realise that there is no such thing as innocence in the world. Yeah, we're all guilty before God. No one is innocent. In the Middle East stuff that's been going on, I was reflecting on 9-11. Now, there was a red-letter day in history, amen? Everybody, you know, uh, apart from the fact maybe you weren't born before there, but everybody knows what happened on that fateful day. Everybody thinks about the pain and the suffering. These people who are just going about their lives, yeah? And then all of a sudden, boom, life was taken from them. And there's all this suffering and pain and tragedy. Initially, there's, there's shock at these four or 5,000 people that have been initially killed. And then there's all of the reverberation over the years of people that have died through all sorts of different illnesses as a consequence of that particular day. And the inevitable question goes up, doesn't it? Where was God when all this was going on? In Luke 13, verse 1, 2,000 years ago, Jesus talked in a similar way about some Galileans that were heading up to the temple. And suddenly they were executed just out of the blue by some what we would call terrorists today. And he talks in there about the Tower of Siloam. 
And all of a sudden, the tower fell on these 18 people and they were killed suddenly and tragically without any sort of explanation. Except for the Jews would say they must have done something terribly, terribly wrong to deserve those consequences. But the same question that's being asked today was asked 2,000 years ago of Jesus. But more importantly, it's the same answer that he gave then that we need to give today. In Luke 13, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said this, Or those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So Jesus is really saying, you're asking the wrong question. You shouldn't be asking why the tower fell on those men. Why do bad things happen to good people? You should be asking, why hasn't the tower fallen on us? Because we're all sinners. Everybody needs to begin with repentance and come into the light of Christ. But we... Uh, we like to think we're the good guys, don't we? We like to think we're on the right side of, of, uh, of good. But the reality is that no one is good. Matthew 19, 17 is exceptionally clear. Jesus said, no one is good but one. That is God. He's plainly stating there that God is the only good and there is no good within us naturally. The only goodness that we actually have in and of ourselves is when we come to Christ and we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of that fruit is to produce goodness. So other than asking, why do good people have problems? We should be asking, why do bad people prosper? So Jesus answers it in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened, just put that into whatever context you need to right now, personally, nationally, internationally, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. You know, one of the things I think that blinds us from seeing God at work in the world is what I call either-or thinking, yeah? We tend to narrow things down to either or. It's either this or that. It's either good or bad. It's either right or wrong. It's either yes or no. But when it comes to God, God always gives us the third option, the godly option. Have a look at uh, what it says in the Message Bible. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. And we're all, hey, it's not my fault, it must be yours. Sorry, Ken, I didn't mean to point to you directly there, mate. It must be yours. You know, sometimes in the ministry we say, whatever you do, when you're about to say something, don't look directly at anybody. I apologise, bro. But we do, don't we? We look for someone to blame. Jesus says, there is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. So he gives us specific instructions here. When we have a problem in life, look for the God solution. Obstacles in life are opportunities for God to display his power through our pain. So the next time you see some challenging situations for people and yourself, I want to encourage you to think differently. 
You know, so often we judge based on whether we think people are getting their just desserts, don't we? Jesus might have said something about that in Matthew 5. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have this great big plank sticking out of your own. Start with yourself. Remember in verse 1, Jesus says he went along and he saw a man blind from birth. I think Jesus wants us to stop. Stop, stop rushing through and actually take a good hard look at the people that you are surrounded with. He sees you. He sees your situation. And you know who the answer to the situation is? The other people around you. God wants you. He challenges you to be the answer to the problems and the pain that people are facing right now. Church, God doesn't cause suffering. But the Bible teaches that he uses suffering to deepen our faith and to depend on him. You know, uh, right now I'm speaking into the microphone, but the microphone's not going to do any good unless it's amplified, yeah? And so often through life, we just go along, yeah? <laughs> speaking into the mic without the amplification, but the amplification in life comes when, when pain and problems begin. And then suddenly we realise, don't we, we can't get through this by ourselves. We're not going to make it out of here alive. Suddenly the amplification is the suffering that God uses to say, hey, listen, you need to repent or you will perish. In this world, we'll probably get to this verse, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. In this world there will be suffering, but praise God, this world is not all there is. So, if you want to see life through the mud, you've got to trust what Jesus says. Next, you've got to trust where Jesus sends. Verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Throughout most of human history, you would know that people did not have electricity. I'll just take this opportunity to say, the way it's going, you better enjoy it while you can. So people back in those days, they only worked during the daylight hours, yeah? If you were a farmer, once night came, you put the oxen in the barn. If you were a tradesperson, when night came, you left the tools on the table until the light came again, yeah? And so no one can work in the night. We have to work in the light. And so Jesus is saying here, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency, I think Sandra said it well when she said, you're noticing the sign of the times. That's a sense of urgency right now. When these things are happening in the Middle East, there's a sense of urgency right now. And there's a sense of urgency as Jesus approaches the cross. You know, in uh, verse 14 in this passage, he actually heals the man on the Sabbath. Of course, the Pharisees go ballistic, don't they? You can't be doing that. But what Jesus says is there's a sense of urgency. I need to not uh, break the law. I need to break through the law. I need you to see the importance of the, the opportunities that await. And so he takes full advantage. And the man born blind, while it is still day, he's able to see the light of Christ in his life. So it's really about taking those opportunities. When he says night is coming, he's talking about death. 
That opportunity when no one will have that opportunity to, to, to come to Christ. So each and every one of us only has a, a limited opportunity to impact people's lives for the gospel, don't we? Yeah? You know, I think everybody here probably has uh, blown that opportunity from time to time. Maybe we've had that opportunity to tell someone, maybe in our, our friendships. Oh, is there anybody here who doesn't know someone who, who isn't a Christian? Not everybody is a Christian, are they? We all know people from our workplace, to our families, to our friends, to our, to our, uh, our schools, to, to our social environment who don't know Christ. But if we don't take the opportunity, have you ever noticed that opportunity sometimes never comes again? It was William Gregory Page who said this, There are three things that can never be recalled. A spent arrow, a spoken word, and a lost opportunity. We've all had times and opportunities, haven't we? John Greenleaf uh, Whittier, he wrote these famous words, Of all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. I want to encourage you this morning. Time is short. Opportunities are fading. On one level, you might need to take that opportunity of reconciling with someone that's had a broken relationship with you. Maybe you need to take an opportunity to seek forgiveness or to give forgiveness to someone. Maybe you just need to take that opportunity to say, hey, listen, I've stuffed it up but I still love you and I still care. Maybe you need to take that opportunity again today to saddle up and to tell someone again about the good news of God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to take that opportunity. You know, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he also said in Matthew 5, didn't he? You are the light of the world. How can it be both? Yeah, because you have Christ in you. Yeah. And that light can shine through you into the lives of others. But it's a challenge this morning to take the opportunities because they're not going to be here forever. So finally, if you want to see life through the mud, you have to trust how Jesus saves. Verses 6 and 7. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground. Why doesn't it say spat, Caitlin? Why, why doesn't it? I don't know. I've got to get someone who's a little bit cleverer than me. To, I want to say spat. He spat on the ground. But I think God knows better in his word than I do. So I'll, I'll, uh... And he made a mud pie with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. It's pretty, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Hey? But you know, in the ancient world, they actually believed that saliva had some sort of medical healing properties. Can you imagine, uh, Faye, if you went to the doctor this week and he... <laughs> <laughs> Would have been great if he said, and you're healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> what he was doing was not something that he believed had medical properties. But what he was doing here was he was helping the man to trust in Jesus, to have that seeing faith. Jesus always wants us to see things from his perspective. Not the either or, but the God option. But please don't confuse miracles with methods. It's known as experiential theology. 
ever had people really push it into you that they've experienced God and something's happened in my life this way and this is how God works and we squish God into that box and suddenly we can find God to, that's how he's going to work for everybody. But the reality is there's four different healings of the blind and they all happen in a variety of different ways. So when we confuse methods with miracles, we start to pin our hopes on the mud, not on the Messiah. It's, it's why we have all these different groups. Somebody, I'm sure, in that day would have started the mud-in-your-eye ministries. Don't do it. Verse 7. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. So God says, go. What's the little story? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And it changed his life forever, didn't it? And the decisions that you make actually can determine your destiny. Will I do this or won't I? You see, when we obey in faith, it's, that's when the power of God is released into our situation. But a lot of people don't want to trust and obey, quite often because I find they really don't want to change. But notice, obedience comes with obstacles there, doesn't it? We know from last week, if you were here, uh, they're up on the Temple Mount. They've got to go down the Kidron Valley to the Pool of Siloam. It's about a treacherous 20-minute walk for an able-bodied person, let alone someone who is blind. But the man does it, doesn't he? Yeah? I mean, would you do it? You think about that. I'm blind. Couldn't I just sort of, uh, you know, stay here? And isn't there a pool that I can cleanse? It's a long walk down there, Jesus. And this mud is getting irritating in my eyes. We go up with all sorts of excuses why we're not going to do this thing that seems like it's probably not going to work. Think about you walking around town here with the mud in your eyes. You'd feel like a bit of a goose, wouldn't you? I wonder if that guy thought he was a bit of a goose. He was blind from birth. He didn't know what a goose was. But so often we don't want to step out in faith and do what God's asking us to do because we don't want to look like a, a goose. But don't be frightened to look like a goose because it's that either-or sort of thing, isn't it? And if you don't look like a goose, then you take the godly option. But notice the crowd's reaction when you do take a godly option. Verse 10. How then were your eyes opened? You ever tell somebody that God stepped into the history of your life and did this and all of a sudden they're questioning and there's doubts and uh, they just don't believe their eyes, do they? Some people have what we call blind spots. You know what a, a blind spot is, of course? It's when you can't see something clearly. We have them in our cars, don't we? Cars are getting shocking. Big uh, curtain airbags at the front, yeah? The other day... There was a car coming this way, right in the curtain airbag spot, and I nearly drove straight into him. It's car fault, wasn't my fault. <laughs> I blame somebody. We have blind spots too, don't we? We have blind spots in our own character. You know, the way that you see me and the way I see myself can be very, very different because we have blind spots. 
But the biggest blind spot that people have on the planet today is that they do not see as God sees their sinful condition. So how's your vision today? Physically, can you see well? Did you know there are 225 million people who are blind or partially blind around the world? There are 85,000 people here in this country. But worst of worst is the 5.5 billion people on the planet who cannot see with spiritual eyes. There is a cure for blindness, and his name is Jesus Christ. Fred Hollows, uh, you know, you would have seen it on TV. I think uh, with inflation, it's gone up to $35 and people can receive their sight. But Jesus says, I have a free gift for you. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he simply says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So we've got to have this spiritual sight. We're born with five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. But you've got to have that sixth spiritual sense in order to see the kingdom of God. This guy ended up dragged before the Pharisees. He was interrogated by them. And they kicked him out of the Temple Mount. But Jesus sought him out. And so the greatest miracle wasn't opening his eyes. It was opening his heart to see Jesus. Verse 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus goes after him. Jesus is still seeking out outcasts. He still has room for people to come to him. He said there, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. So this man had received physical sight, but he had not yet been saved. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one Speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord. It's like that. Ta-da! <laughs> Suddenly the, the scales have dropped from his eyes. He could see physically. He was all right. But now the spiritual scales had dropped. And he sees Jesus. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. One of my favourite parts of the miracle right there. It's the first time he saw Jesus. And you know, whenever I think about that, I think about my own spiritual journey. Do you remember that time when God broke into the history of your life and suddenly, you know, I used to know people and I go, ah, oh, man, it makes sense to them, but I just can't see what they're getting out of this. And then suddenly the scales fall and you see Jesus in that spiritual sense for the very first time. Oh, man, there's nothing like it. So it's a double miracle. He's got physical and spiritual sight as the light of the love of the Lord actually shines into his life. Here's something to remember, church. We live in a really dark world, don't we? But the light of Christ is always darker than the darkness of the devil. John Newton's words are true. I once was blind, but now I see. Paul would write later uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And then later on in chapter 11, he wrote this, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
Church, we've always got to remember that Satan is number one on God's terror watch list around the world. I was uh, watching this uh, thing on National Geographic, and it was a, uh, a story uh, of um, uh, a, a, a team from National Geographic. They had gone into North Korea, and they were filming... Uh, there was a, a famous eye surgeon uh, from Nepal. His name is Dr. Sandruk Root. And he went into North Korea, and North Korea is very, I'll use the word, uh, primitive. Uh, they don't have the same sort of uh, medical expertise that we have here in the West. And so people had uh, gone blind through a variety of different things. And this doctor operated on a 1,000 uh, patients for them to receive their sight. And I thought to myself, what better way, rather than talk about it, to show you uh, the video. And I just want to set it up. These people have been unable to see. They're all in this big room together like you are now. Yeah? And you'll be surprised at their reaction when they first see. Let's have a, a little look at the video. The moment of truth comes first for a 23-year-old woman. She's come with her father and has been completely blind for years. Can't you touch my nose? Where is your husband? Where is her father? Next is a 35-year-old woman who is blind in both eyes. Hope we can make her see a little better so she can get married. Ask her to open her eyes, please. Now we spot the grandmother we had visited at home. She's been waiting for years to see the dear leader. And she's not disappointed. Thank you. 
Each time a patient regained their sight, we were amazed to see them direct their gratefulness toward the dear leader. Despite the hardships, he receives credit for everything that happens here. As I watched hundreds of people do and say virtually the same thing over and over and over again, I wondered which people had genuine faith and which were acting out of fear. And finally, it hit me. Here, after generations of absolute rule and complete indoctrination, there may not be a difference between true belief and true fear. North Korea is a place ruled by an absolute dictator who now possesses nuclear weapons. I don't know, but uh, as a Christian, that's hard to watch. People created in the image of God and have the bandages removed and people rush into the front, bowing down and worshipping, praising. You know, you, you would think it was a Pentecostal revival if uh, uh, it wasn't towards Kim Jong-un. And it just sort of makes me think. These people received their physical sight and yet they were still absolutely and totally blind spiritually. That's the way the devil works in the world today. He masquerades as an angel of light and people are uh, being drawn in to worship, to bow down, to do his bidding and his will in the world today, living and dying in utter and complete darkness, not out of faith but out of fear. I'll get you more salt out of the mines. Thanks for my eyesight, I can kill more people. But the blind man, he receives this spiritual sight and he declares, Jesus is Lord. Verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I need to understand, church, and understand well. God created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who sustains it. He is the one who is in control. Even though it seems like evil is winning right now, God is still in control. He is still on his throne. He is still doing what he is doing to fulfill his plans and purposes. Because the devil knows a time is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is 
Lord. So I hope you can say today, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe in you. I believe in miracles. I believe that the pain and the problems of life today do have a purpose. I believe that you are the light for this dark, dark world. And I do believe that you are in control and I choose to worship you alone. So if you want to see life through the mud, you have to trust what Jesus says. Things are happening in the world to show God's work. Trust where Jesus sends because he's giving everybody an opportunity to come to him through you. And trust how Jesus saves because Jesus wants everybody to receive that miracle of spiritual sight. Can you stand with me this morning?